This is the Rundown. The Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Welcome into another edition of The Rundown, live from the Auction Community Studios. I am Jordan Bird, filling in for Luke Lipinski tonight on this Monday evening. A big Monday evening, as we've got some pretty important games. Now, it's still regular season. There still is some time left. But for the Phoenix Suns, and more specifically for the Arizona Coyotes, we're really starting to get into the meat of these schedules and really starting to get down to the wire in terms of, specifically for the Coyotes, where they're jockeying for spots in the playoffs in the West Division. But we're going to start tonight talking about the Phoenix Suns because arguably over the weekend on Saturday night, it was the worst loss of the season. Just everything considered. The Phoenix Suns are a team now that feel like they've had enough game action so far this year as this specific team, as this specific unit, to no longer have these lulls where you're playing a mediocre subpar team and especially specific to Saturday night you're playing a team that had three players that were not even dressed for that game the Spurs even got fined for resting some of their guys and the Suns come out with an absolute stinker that comes on the precipice of beginning this long east coast road trip where you have the Phoenix Suns starting tonight in Milwaukee as that game stands currently right now It's almost at halftime. There's just a few seconds left, and the Suns are trailing Milwaukee 54-53. to And so, for me personally, just looking at what has transpired so far in this game as Chris Paul makes a layup to put the Suns ahead by one, Milwaukee will have a chance here at a last-second shot, and it's off the backboard no good. So the Suns will go to the halftime, leading Milwaukee 55-54. It's a welcome sign to see this team bounce back, and that's... It's so funny because it's this weird mixed emotions where, hey, it's great to see that the Suns got up for this Milwaukee game, that they are so far through the first 24 minutes of this road trip, they're bringing their A game, they're going toe-to-toe with one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference and one of the better individual players in the NBA and Giannis. But it still, on the flip side of things, just makes you so infuriating to think about why this team continues to not get up for the games that should be very winnable games. And I know the excuse is that this is the NBA, everyone is professionals, you can't you know, just flat out overlook an opponent and chalk it up as a win before the game is actually played. It's not like college where you know you could have a game on your schedule that it's a very mediocre team and just by tying your laces and stepping out on the floor, you're expected to win, and you can win a game like that. The Suns aren't yet to that level. And so it's still, it's like I said, it's this back and forth of a sense of pride that the Suns have shown up in this first half of this Milwaukee game, that they're playing well, that they're putting themselves in position to win this game. But on the flip side, you want to pull your hair out after games like Saturday when you're supposed to dominate a team like that. So we're at least seeing better signs tonight in Milwaukee against the Bucks than what we did over the weekend. What was the reason for that San Antonio loss? Not even a loss, just really not even showing up in general. Monty Williams was after, asked after the game on Saturday night if that Spurs game with the road trip coming up was a classic look-ahead type of game. I told our guys I'm not concerned about the standings 
or anybody else. I've been telling our guys, and they'll tell you the same thing. I'm more concerned with how we play. Um, I don't think our guys are looking ahead to anybody. We're, we're not in that class of teams yet. We've done some good things this year, but we have a ways to go um, to become the consistent team that we all know that we can be. And when you're in our position, you, you have no right to look ahead to anything. We, we have to focus every single game and focus on how we play. And our guys know that. Monty is 100% right. But I think saying that is a lot easier than going out and practicing it in real life. This is still a young team, an inexperienced team. I mean, a lot of the core of this team is not even 25, 24 years old yet. And they're in uncharted territory where they've never been in this spot before. And I think it would be lying to ourselves if we said that a San Antonio Spurs game is of the same magnitude as a game like tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. And for young players that are still getting used to this, winning, and still getting used to the idea of being the hunted team and not the hunter, it's going to take a little bit of time. Now, you would have thought that hopefully over the course of 50-some-odd games that the Suns have had many opportunities to learn their lessons. But that still hasn't yet been the case. This is a young team that is in uncharted territory. They're going to have these type of hiccups. And with a guy like Chris Paul, you would think that maybe the learning curve would be a little bit quicker for the Suns. All all this being said is this Suns team has been a pretty decent model of consistency when you look at what they've done this season, specifically to losses. The last time the Suns lost back-to-back games was back at the end of January. They actually had a three-game losing streak where they lost to Denver in overtime, then Denver in double overtime, and then Oklahoma City. So even though the Suns have these blemishes, even though the Suns have these hiccups and these mistakes where you're scratching your head and punching the wall trying to figure out why this team plays down to the level of their opponent, they have an incredible bounce back in them. And that's, I think, what we're seeing right now here in Milwaukee. Now, the Suns are leading by one at the half. Anything can happen here in this second half. But I think the tone has already been set for tonight that maybe it was a classic look look past them type of game, look ahead type of game. Because the Suns have brought it so far here tonight. And that's all you can ask with this young team that continues to grow. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. It's time now for the rundown rapid reaction. First, we start with the Arizona Diamondbacks yesterday beating the Washington Nationals. They split that four-game series in the nation's capital. And the big noteworthy aspect of that game was Madison Bumgarner having his by far best start so far of this season. Now, that's not saying much because Mad Bum has suffered or has struggled, I should say, significantly so far this season but a big step in the right direction and quite frankly thank god it was a step in the right direction because i don't know where we would be at today if mad bum had another 11 era type performance yesterday it still doesn't wash away all of the concerns all of the issues that are present there for madison Baumgartner, but it at least is a step in the right direction now Can he build upon this? Can he build the consistency? Can he put back-to-back quality starts together for the Arizona Diamondbacks? Because we're going to get deeper into this a little bit later. There's no denying that Mad Bum has not lived up to the contract. 
But I think even in the Diamondbacks' worst nightmares, they never thought that Mad Bum would be as poor of a performer as he's been so far here in Arizona. The big story today in the NFL, at least in terms of the NFL draft, Trey Lance, the quarterback from North Dakota State, had his second pro day. The San Francisco 49ers were there in person and were heavily involved in the blueprinting and the scripting of the type of workout that Trey Lance had. It's leading a lot of people to speculate that maybe Trey Lance and not Mac Jones, the quarterback from Alabama, could be the target for Kyle Shanahan and company with the third overall pick in the draft. And I can't help it. Every year we fall into this 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 web of falling in love with quarterbacks that don't rightfully deserve it. And it's no personal offense to Trey Lance, but I can't believe that we're talking about Trey Lance and Mac Jones as guys who are potentially the third overall pick in the NFL draft when you've got a guy in Justin Fields at Ohio State who has a more decorated background at the collegiate ranks, has, by comparison's sake, all of the tools and intangibles that these other quarterbacks have, but continually, it appears, gets passed over for the idea of, ooh, here's Trey Lance or here's Mac Jones. What have these guys actually accomplished? Mac Jones, granted, he was a winner at Alabama for one year. But was the success of Mac Jones related to his own talents and abilities? Or was it that he's surrounded by other five-star recruits who elevate the entire program at Alabama? Same thing with Trey Lance. And same thing to Zach Wilson, which has already been basically a done deal that he's going to be the number two pick to the Jets. The level of competition. I'm an FCS guy through and through. I love my FCS football. But there is a distinct curve in the quality of play when you go from the FCS ranks to playing now as a starter in the National Football League. Same thing with Zach Wilson. This last year for BYU, that it wasn't supposed to be the case, but BYU played a schedule that was laughable. And so, yeah, Zach Wilson should have dominated that type of competition. But what can they do now once they step up against an NFL defense. It happens every year. We see it time and time again. The Mitchell Trubisky's, the Christian Ponders, teams reaching for quarterbacks when they shouldn't. And I think that we're going down this road here where there's going to be some teams at the top half of the top 10 of the NFL draft that are going to make some significant mistakes by selecting some of these quarterbacks as highly as they may. The other big story tonight here locally, the Arizona Coyotes. The puck is about to be dropped in Glendale between the Coyotes and the Minnesota Wild. The Coyotes are holding on to that playoff spot right now. They are one point up on St. Louis for the final and fourth playoff spot in the West Division. But St. Louis does have two games in hand, or I should say the other way around. The Coyotes have two games in hand on St. Louis. So every game now is critical for the Arizona Coyotes in trying to secure that playoff spot. Something that seems just crazy. We're talking about the Suns playoff drought and how long it's been since we've experienced playoff basketball here in the Valley of the Sun. Same thing for the Arizona Coyotes. 2012, the year they went to the Western Conference Finals, that was the last time the Arizona Coyotes played a playoff game here in the state of Arizona. Yes, they made the playoffs last year, but that was the bubble So we're talking about two of our local teams that potentially could be breaking through that playoff drought. 
So the best of the luck to the Coyotes. That game has started at the 16-22 mark in the first period. It is scoreless between the Coyotes and Minnesota. Coming up next, here on the rundown, Madison Bumgardner. He had a good start yesterday, but it still feels like there is a lot of work to be done. What's next for the D-backs, quote-unquote, ace? That's next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday evening. We got two of the local teams already in action right now. The Phoenix Suns are at the half with the Milwaukee Bucks, leading 55-54. to The Coyotes and the Wild are about halfway through the first period tonight in Glendale. That is a 0-0 game right now. The Arizona Diamondbacks will be back on the field tomorrow, taking on the uh, Cincinnati Reds. And for Madison Bumgardner, yesterday in Houston, the series finale in that one, Bumgardner had his best performance of the season. Now, I think we do need to kind of put some disclaimers on that because the best start of the season so far for Mad Bum was him getting through five innings. And giving up one earned run, one walk, you know, 80 pitches, it was respectable line. But I feel like Mad Bum has been so poor since coming to the Arizona Diamondbacks that there's some people, not all, but some people out there that are celebrating this as a huge achievement, a milestone. And as much as it is nice to see Mad Bum moving in the right direction, five innings for your supposed ace is far from something that I think should be celebrated at this moment. There still is plenty of work to be done. And that's what I find so interesting about the struggles of Madison Bumgarner is that you've heard Matt Hurgis, the pitching coach. You've heard Tori Lovello. You've heard others associated with the Diamondbacks talking about how Mad Bum is one of these great all-time pitchers. And Tori Lovello loves to talk about how He put the city of San Francisco on his back and willed that organization to two World Series. And that's true. And I also think then, if that is the case, then we can't really play with Mad Bum with kid gloves right now. I mean, we have to call it like it is. And as much as it was an improvement in the right direction, there is still a lot that concerns me about the future of Mad Bum with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Most notably, it's some of the comments made by Mike Hazen. Now, Mike Hazen, the general manager of the D-backs, he has a fine line of a job to walk here. He has to, you know, be somewhat honest with the fan base in terms of what's going on and what his plan and what his vision is for this team, while also maintaining a healthy relationship with the players and the staff that's under his thumb. So when he was doing a Q&A with The Athletic over the weekend, he was asked a question. Quote, last year has garnered an asterisk for a lot of players given the circumstances, but are there any trends you see that have continued from last season to this season for Mad Bump? This is what Mike Hazen said. Quote, that's a too early to answer question. I don't have an answer for you. The answer I gave you before is what I would answer to that question, which is trusting in his stuff and the knowledge knowledge and intelligence of him and what he's done in his career is why we have the belief that he's going to turn this around, and he's healthy. Those things are all pieces that are important to us. So there is some validity to that. 
But when I read those comments, I initially kind of had the thought of Patrick Peterson. And I know I'm comparing apples to oranges here, but in the lead up to free agency with the Arizona Cardinals, all Patrick Peterson kept talking about was his previous resume and why he's deserving to stay with the Cardinals or be a big money free agent if he were to sign with the team, and he ultimately did with the Minnesota Vikings. But it was all of this stuff that's happened in the past. And that's what I am keep hearing about Madison Bumgarner, is stuff that he's already accomplished. That's all well and good. That's a point of pride. That is something to celebrate. But in terms of what it means for the Phoenix Suns and moving forward in this season and beyond in the remainder of his contract, what he's already accomplished doesn't mean diddly-poo. I mean, it's great that Mad Bum was this fantastic pitcher a few years ago. But if the Diamondbacks are stuck with a shell of his former self, then that is going to significantly impact what this franchise can do. And as it stands right now, I think it would be, if I were to put odds or if I were to bet on it, I would bet on the side that Mad Bum is going to be mediocre to average at best than the alternative being all of a sudden he finds the fountain of youth and regains his form from when he was in San Francisco. I just think it's the most likely scenario that he's going to continue to be, a I don't want to say a problem, but that there's going to be issues with what Madison Bumgarner is bringing to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, yesterday after their win over Washington, Mad Bum met with reporters and he was asked, was there anything he did differently between his last start and the start yesterday against the Nats? Not, not really anything like physical, um, you know, a little bit. I've, I've changed so much um, in between each one. So there's been, a, you know, I've tried a lot of stuff, a lot of different stuff. So um, I don't know that it's, that it's really so much one, one little thing to, to point the finger at. There's been, been a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. So, um, and I don't feel like we're we're by no means there yet. But it's nice to see a transition the way that I want it to go. Mad Bum still should have baseball left in him, quality baseball left in him. He's thirty-one years old, and I was surprised earlier today when I looked that up because the way that he has struggled and the way that it's been kind of like pulling teeth for the Diamondbacks to try to get him right. You would think that we're talking about a guy who is on the far tail end of his career he still has quality baseball left in him or he should have quality baseball still left in him but for whatever reason he just hasn't been able to get it right now I think a large part of it has been the mindset the mental aspect of this this is probably the first time in his entire career little league high school collegiate whatever else the case may be when you talk about a guy who has been at the top of his game for the majority of his career It's far and few between when you have these type of struggles. And when you do, you're scratching your head trying to figure out reasons why. So it's great to see Mad Bum have a decent performance. Now I want to see another and another and another. A consecutive run where we start to put to bed some of these questions about the status and the future of Madison Bumgarner with the D-backs. Well, I know there wasn't many Diamondback fans that were expecting an NL West title so far this season. And through the first two, three weeks of the season, that has certainly lived up to be the case because the L.A. Dodgers right now are playing out of their mind. 
13 and 3 as they lead the NL West division. They are uh, three and a half games already up on the Giants and the Padres. The Diamondbacks are already seven games back. And it just kind of illustrates the uphill battle that the Arizona Diamondbacks and some of these other teams in the NL West are going to have to contend with this season and beyond. And that is, if you are going to try to challenge the Dodgers, and that may not even be realistic. It may be a challenge of staying in second place or staying for that third wild card spot. That might be the real challenge here, the real goal for some of these teams. But I think it's what's abundantly clear is that if you are going to even stay within sniffing distance of the L.A. Dodgers, you have to, as a team, be operating on all cylinders. And so, like I mentioned, I know there's not many people that were expecting a playoff run by the Arizona Diamondbacks this year, but it really is alarming, not only for this season, but beyond to see that all of the talk, all of the hype about how good the L.A. Dodgers are going to be and how good, how much of an all-star team that they have, it's real. And they're living up to that right now. And the crazy thing about it is they're not even operating on full capacity. Mookie Betts has like two RBIs so far this season, and yet the Diamond or and yet the Dodgers have already won 13 games. That's going to get real scary when they start operating at full capacity. Coming up next here on the rundown with Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski, we'll touch on our local ultimate mock draft for the NFL draft, our Arizona Sports ultimate ultimate mock draft, and one pick in particular stood out to me as something that one of the actual NFL teams should be taking notes on. I'll tell you what I'm talking about next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday edition of The Rundown, getting you caught up on what's going on with the local teams right now. Just under eight minutes remaining in the first period, the Minnesota Wild have jumped out to a one nothing lead over the Arizona Coyotes. And over in Milwaukee right now, the Phoenix Suns are trailing the Milwaukee Bucks. That's a 67-66 score right now. So the Suns down by a point in that game right now. So... We'll keep you updated on all of those games as we progress and as we get deeper into uh, this evening, as we should have the final of the Suns game uh, by the time we check off air at 8 o'clock, but just something to keep an eye on with the Suns and the Coyotes, these two teams making playoff pushes as we get deeper and deeper into the regular season. The other big thing coming up in the world of sports is now just, what, a week and a half or so away, and that is the NFL Draft. The Arizona Cardinals, of course, will have the 16th pick in the first round as it stands right now. Of course, they can make a move. They can make a trade. But as it stands right now, they have the 16th pick. What we've been doing here, it started today, is the Arizona Sports Ultimate Mock Draft, where each show, two picks a day, are going to be going through throughout the course of this week and selecting players in our own version of a mock draft for what we think or what we believe could happen for the NFL draft and something already happened today that caught my attention and I could not agree with it more. The first two picks that were on the Doug and Wolf program this morning went basically chalk Trevor Lawrence to the Jaguars at one Zach Wilson to the Jets at number two. 
It was at number three where things got interesting because the San Francisco 49ers have traded up to that spot, and there's been a lot of speculation about where they're going to go with that pick. It seems by all indications it's going to be a quarterback, and maybe, maybe rightfully so considering Jimmy Garoppolo's injury history, that the 49ers are going to select a young quarterback, maybe move Jimmy G during this offseason, during the season, or maybe even after this year, and start things over fresh with a rookie quarterback. And I understand, before I get any deeper into it, I understand the enticement by teams of chasing after these young quarterbacks. One, you need a quarterback to be successful in the NFL. It's the bottom line. I mean, in years past, in decades past, you could be a good team that relies on a stout, incredibly superb defense and just have, quote-unquote, a game manager at the quarterback spot. We've seen that before. But in this day and age of the NFL, you need a quarterback to be successful as a team. And second of all, with the way salaries have skyrocketed, so far in the NFL, if you have a quarterback that is decent, a quarterback that is good, and a quarterback that's on his rookie deal, it opens up all sorts of financial possibilities for you and financial options where you can allocate that money in other areas and bolster up that team while having your starting quarterback on a very friendly team type of contract. So I understand why teams are slobbering all over themselves every time this year about these quarterbacks where back in the fall, and I know this year is a little bit different because of COVID, but in years past, you look at a guy like Daniel Jones, a guy who was a quarterback at Duke, who, no offense to Duke, I know it's a a decent program as of late, but historically it's been absolutely awful. And Daniel Jones wasn't jumping off the page, jumping off the TV during that final season for him with the Blue Devils. But yet, during the pre-draft process, these guys worked their way up. We're seeing that this year in the NFL, where right now, there is a distinct possibility you could have five quarterbacks being selected within the top ten, maybe even top eight or top seven, depending especially if there's some trades that go down. Lawrence, Zach Wilson, seem locks at one and two. But then with our mock draft today, going back to the ultimate mock draft, Dan Bickley had the selection for the 49ers, and he took Justin Fields. There's no doubt that the 49ers are going to look for a quarterback. And out of the rest of the group of the Justin Fields, the Trey Lances, and the Mac Jones, I think Justin Fields has the greatest upside, the greatest potential. And the reason I say that is based off of his body of work at college. I still feel like that should mean something, that he had spent two years as the Buckeyes starting quarterback. He had high level of success. Now, granted, I earlier in the program, I called it a, a knock or a disadvantage for Mac Jones, and I'm not sure how good Mac Jones really is because he's surrounded by great talent at Alabama. You could say the same with Justin Fields, that being at Ohio State, that's a blue blood program. They get a ton of quality, high-level recruits. So he's aided by the idea that he's going to be surrounded by good players while he was at Ohio State. But the Trey Lances, the Mac Jones, these are guys that have really come out of nowhere and in the last two, not Trey Lance, I should correct myself on that. Trey Lance has kind of been on people's radars for a while now. 
But it started slow, and it always does with the quarterbacks. It's a slow build where it's like, hey, keep an eye on this kid in North Dakota State. He could be a first-round pick. By the season, you get into the heart of it. It's like a typical season, grant you, not the weird COVID year because Trey Lance only played one game of college football this year as a member of the North Dakota State Bison. So it's not like it was a normal season. But in years past, once you get into the season, then people start saying, ah, you know that Trey Lance kid, you know, maybe he could be top 25. Maybe he could be top 20. And then in the final month of draft preparation, when it really gets pedal to the metal, you start getting these people that are saying, oh, wow, Trey Lance now, he could be the third pick in the draft. And that's, I just... Don't see it. I think if I'm the San Francisco 49ers and I have used this draft capital and I'm looking at a guy who is going to be hopefully my new starting quarterback for the next 10 years and we can be successful. And while he's on his current deal, he can be proficient enough that we can still be a contending type team. I think Justin Fields suits that role far better than a Trey Lance, far better than a Mac Jones. However, there was an interesting thing that happened at North Dakota State's Pro Day today, Trey Lance's Pro Day today. And that was that the San Francisco 49ers had a heavy hand in dictating and selecting what Trey Lance was actually going to do, how he was going to perform at his Pro Day today. Mike Greenberg of ESPN elaborates. Lance usually works with a quarterback coach named Quincy Avery, works with a lot of quarterbacks. So is John Beck, and he is directly connected to Kyle Shanahan from the 49ers. The 49ers and Shanahan gave Beck what they wanted Lance to work on ahead of time. If a decision had been made, then there's no reason for them to be going through this exercise, which tells me that they not only haven't decided on Mac Jones, but that the the absolute advantage in this scenario is to Lance. It is his spot to lose. That is insane to me when we're talking about the third pick in the draft. And... The 49ers had to move up to be in position to take one of these guys because this is the way the NFL now drafts. But you're talking about specifically with Trey Lance and Mac Jones. Trey Lance, who had a career at FCS North Dakota State, not exactly the highest caliber of competition. And I know there's been quarterbacks in the past that have come from that level. There's players in the past that have come from that FCS level and have been long NFL careers, successful NFL careers. But there's a lot of red flags to me about just that level of competition. And if he's ready to all of a sudden be handed the reins and looked upon as the franchise quarterback of an NFL team. Same thing with Mac Jones to a lesser extent. One year, one year he was the starter at Alabama. A few weeks ago, Paul Feinbaum, who follows the SEC closer than anyone else, said that if Mac Jones gets selected with the third overall pick, it will be one of the greatest stories in NFL draft history. And the reason why, according to Feinbaum, is that this exact same time last year, there was not even a guarantee that Mac Jones was going to be the starting quarterback of the Alabama Crimson Tide. So to go from a spring quarterback competition at Alabama to a year later being the third overall pick, there is something wrong here with the NFL and the way that they evaluate quarterbacks and the way that they thirst after quarterbacks. It's not going to change because as I laid out earlier, there are numerous reasons why teams continue to go down this road. But 
as I said earlier, five quarterbacks could go within the top 10. What are the likelihood that three of them are still successful quarterbacks, the starting quarterback of the team that they got drafted by five years from now? I think it's very thin. I mean, you even go back and look at some of the draft history. 2015, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota went 1-2 in the NFL draft. That was 2015, six years ago. The first and second overall pick. Neither one of those guys are currently with the team that drafted them. And there's a decent chance, I mean, depending on what happens in New Orleans, but there is a decent chance that neither one of them are even a starting quarterback for their current team. So this is something that continues to repeat itself. It happens every year. I mean, just looking through. Uh, 2016, Jared Goff won, Carson Wentz two. Wentz is already on a different team. Even in the late round, you had Paxton Lynch. Is he even still in the league? I'm not even sure. 2017, Mitchell Trubisky was selected second overall by the Bears, ahead of Pat Mahomes, ahead of Deshaun Watson. 2018, Sam Darnold, the third overall pick with a new team. Josh Rosen, the 10th pick, when the Cardinals traded up to get him. He is no longer with the Cardinals. I mean, the likelihood that even three of these guys are still with their team that drafts them this upcoming spring is highly unlikely. And yet, we'll see next year NFL teams continue to do the same thing, go down this same road. It could even get more wonky this year because according to reports, first of all, you had uh, Woody Page. It's been a long time since I had... (laughs) Heard of Woody Page. I don't watch Pete uh, uh, around the horn very much anymore. But Woody Page works for the Denver Post, and he was reporting this weekend that the Denver Broncos have been in contact with the Atlanta Falcons and trying to move up for that fourth pick. Then there was a report this afternoon from Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network that the Miami Dolphins, who currently are sitting at six, are fielding calls on teams trading up for number six. This happens every year and teams are going to regret it. Thankfully, the Arizona Cardinals are not one of those teams. We don't have to worry about them reaching on someone right now. It's just, it's crazy to me how these evaluators and these scouts fall in love with these guys that when you just watched them as a fan, yeah, they're talented, yeah, they're good, but are they really top five, top ten worthy of being an NFL draft selection? So, I appreciated Dan Bickley selecting Justin Fields with number three to the San Francisco 49ers. Keep listening to Arizona sports this weekend because all day long, every day this week, we are your home for the ultimate mock draft experience where each show is going to be continuing to draft players. It's going to start up again tomorrow in the seven o'clock hour with Doug and Wolf. Doug is going to be on the clock with the seventh overall pick, which currently belongs to the Detroit Lions. But I, I just, I, I liked where Bickley was going with that because I feel like that is out of the three available quarterbacks that are left beyond Wilson and Lawrence, I think Justin Fields is the most ready right now for an NFL team. Coming up next, we'll turn our attention back to the Phoenix Suns. Should Monty Williams consider resting his players? especially considering how young and inexperienced his roster truly is. That's next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown.
with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday edition of The Rundown. Check in with the Phoenix Suns right now in Milwaukee. Just under 11 minutes to go. Cam Johnson just got a dunk, so the Suns are now trailing Milwaukee 94-87. to So Milwaukee has put a little bit of padding on this game in this fourth quarter, and uh, it begins what is a brutal stretch of the Suns' schedule. Not just this week, but also looking ahead to the rest of the regular season. If I'm not mistaken, the Suns only have something like four uh, four home games left on their schedule the rest of this season. And so it's going to be imperative for this team who has one of the toughest remaining schedules in the NBA and is fighting to hold off the Clippers and it is fighting to catch up with the Utah Jazz. It's imperative for this team to come away with this road trip with at least, I mean, this five-game stretch two and three at the worst, preferably three or two or better off of this run. And it all goes back to the the San Antonio game on Saturday where the Suns just came out, looked lifeless. I mean, right from the get-go, they got buried early on by a San Antonio team that was shorthanded. The Suns, Booker, Paul, missing mid-range shots, missing layups that they typically connect on. And it has people wondering now whether the Suns need to start resting players. That's what San Antonio did Saturday night. There were three players that they sat for that game, kind of healthy scratches. The NBA ended up fining San Antonio $25,000 for sitting those guys. But should that be something that the Phoenix Suns consider? Monty Williams, after practice yesterday, was asked by the media, have the Suns discussed that scenario? We haven't talked about it um, yet, but if we need to, we will. But it's, it's not something that's come up. Um, the one thing that we have going for us is most of our team is still pretty young. Right, right. <laughs> one guy that, you know, most people would probably bring up in that discussion is Chris, and he just doesn't want to sit out. So we've tried to manage as best we can on off days and, um, that kind of thing, but it's not something we've talked about just yet. I understand that. You know, this is a young team. This is a team that is still trying to find its identity in a sense, you know, with so many young pieces and so many guys who are inexperienced in terms of playing meaningful basketball game down the stretch of a regular season or even playing in a playoff series. There isn't a whole lot of experience to go around. But I guess I look at it as what good did playing Saturday against San Antonio did? Did I mean, if you sat Chris Paul, if you sat Devin Booker or anyone else who might be feeling the rigors of the NBA season, if you would have sat them for that game, does it turn out any differently? No. I mean, you're still probably going to lose the game. And maybe you find guys that are more willing to step in. I mean, There's been time after time this season talked about the way Monty Williams has used substitutions and playing time for the backup guard spot between campaign Javon Carter and Langston Galloway. I mean, if you sat out Devin Booker for a game, increased playing time for a guy like Langston Galloway, you're getting him sharper for key moments or getting him sharper for a playoff run or a playoff series when it comes around the corner. So, I understand Monty saying, you know, hey, these are a bunch of young guys and, 
You know, they shouldn't be tired. We've done a good job of managing their minutes or managing their rest. But maybe it's something to consider. Now, Monty did bring up the idea, and he was asked about how much could resting guys throw off a player and therefore a team's rhythm as they come down the stretch of the regular season. Anytime you don't play, you lose rhythm. I don't care who you are. Just That's the way it is. So I think it just depends on when it happens. I don't think anybody will... Um, I shouldn't say that. People may rest their guys right before the playoffs. But, you know, the thing that gets lost in all of this rest talk is like, we, we haven't made the playoffs. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a goal for, for us. It's a goal for our players, goal for the organization. And that, that's, that's right now, that's number one. You know, once we can accomplish that, then we'll probably look at some other stuff. And that's that's what's on our minds right now. We we just don't talk about it. So Monty seems like he's keeping the door open there. You know, hey, maybe once we clinch a playoff spot, we'll reassess this. We'll think about it differently in terms of resting players or not. But I still go back to the idea that, yeah, you haven't accomplished anything yet. You haven't qualified for the playoffs technically yet. But if... If the alternative is a performance and a game like we saw Saturday night against the San Antonio Spurs, then I'd rather rest a few players because if you're going to have that type of performance anyways, then it makes sense to at least get some guys some extra rest in addition to the loss. There was some funny stuff over the NBA over this past weekend. Uh, The... New Orleans Pelicans lost to the New York Knicks yesterday on kind of a bonehead play by Eric Bledsoe, who all he had to do really was foul a Knicks player and prevent them from tying the game in regulation and sending it into overtime. He did not do that. His head coach, Stan Fan Gundy, went off. No excuse whatsoever today. None. None. I don't care if you're a senior in high school you can execute what we were supposed to be doing with 7.8 seconds to go. So no excuse whatsoever. Eric Bledsoe, to his credit, actually told the truth. He fessed up to what happened and why he didn't go ahead and execute what the game plan was in those late-minute situations. Um, was, was the plan when they tied it up? I mean, like, was it conveyed in the huddle that you guys were supposed to foul? Yeah. Yeah, and I, uh, no one paying attention, lack of focus, and... D-Rolls got downhill and made a great play. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't focused. Oh, you know, I mean, that that seems like a decent opportunity or a decent juncture of the game to pay attention, to make sure you know what you're supposed to be doing. But for Eric Bledsoe, eh, no, I, I forgot, you know. I mean, give the guy some slack here. It was just 30 seconds after they came out of that huddle. A lot can transpire in that moment there, so... Let's give Eric Bledsoe a pass there, but man, just <laughs> Eric Bledsoe, the the hair salon saga that just doesn't die, the, the gift that keeps on giving and his antics in the NBA. There was something else out of that game, though, that riled up a lot of people, especially in the New York area, and that was Zion Williamson, who post-game was asked about playing in Madison Square Garden and playing in New York City. New York is the mecca of basketball. Uh... I love I love playing I love playing here. Uh, when I played here in college, and this is my first time playing here in the pros, and 
I mean, this this atmosphere, you know, whether they're cheering for you, whether they're booing for you, uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, honestly, I think outside of New Orleans, obviously, uh, I think this might be my favorite place to play outside of New Orleans. I can't even lie to you. I can't lie to you. That lit a torch of Knicks fans thinking, hey, Zion's coming to the Knicks. It's going to happen. He wants to be here. He wants to play in the mecca of basketball. That is New York City. And who knows? Maybe that is something that will come down the line. Burns and Gambo touched on this earlier this afternoon, and I thought it was a fantastic point. What would have happened if Devin Booker had said that? In his early career, and he's still in his early career with the Phoenix Suns in his early NBA career. But what if he had said that in year two, year three of being a member of the Phoenix Suns? Hey, man, I love this city, whatever city that may be. This is the Mecca. I besides playing in my home arena, I love playing here the most. That would have added so much fuel to the fire of Devin Booker wants out of here. Devin Booker. Can't wait to get to a better opportunity and a better, more prestigious, more limelight type of team and type of town. And so, in a way, it roundabout way, it kind of illustrates the progress that has been made here in Phoenix. One, it's a credit to Devin Booker, even if he's had thoughts like that, even if he's had opinions like that, it's a credit to Book for never sharing those publicly because it would have created a firestorm. But also it represents just how much progress the Suns have made now. And I don't think we have to worry at this juncture and looking ahead into the future of what still may be to come for the Phoenix Suns. We don't have to worry about that being an issue for Devin Booker anymore. I never really was worried about it anyways because he was always the good soldier. He was always saying the right things and always doing the right things. But man, can you just imagine in year two, year three, if Devin Booker would have said, Man, I love New York City. I love playing here. It's incredible. That would have been meltdown factor here in Phoenix. Coming up next on hour number two of this edition of The Rundown, we'll get a check-in with the Suns. We'll get a check-in with the Coyotes and get you caught up on all of the top stories of the day. That's next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the Rundown with Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski. It's time now for the Rundown Reload, getting you caught up and squared away on all of the top stories of the day. We start in Milwaukee. Right now, the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks just under five minutes to go in regulation. The Suns trailing the Bucks 109 to 102. Chris Paul having a great game for the Suns right now. 20 points, 8 assists, and 5 rebounds. Devin Booker, not so much. 17 points on 6 of 18 shooting from the field. He does have 7 rebounds and 5 assists, so he's getting it done in other areas. The other big piece of news today that was interesting, Monty Williams going with a bit of a shakeup in his starting lineup. Dario Saric got the start at the 4 spot in place of Jay Crowder. So far, that really hasn't turned out well in terms of the offensive production as Saric just has two points and four turnovers in 18 minutes of action. Cam Johnson has come in off the bench. He is three of six from three and has 13 points. So a big effort here for the Suns is going to be needed in the final four and a half minutes or so 
if they're going to get this win and avoid losing back-to-back games since the first time since the end of January. Now, of course, this also is the beginning of a very long and lengthy East Coast road trip for the Phoenix Suns. It starts tonight in Milwaukee, Wednesday at Philadelphia, Thursday, Boston, Sunday, Brooklyn, Monday, New York. Five East Coast games against all playoff teams in the Eastern Conference in just an eight-day span. So this is going to be a critical stretch for the Suns. And I was right earlier. Suns only have four, four home games remaining on their regular season schedule as they continue to hold on to that two-seed in the West and maybe even put a little bit of pressure on the Utah Jazz who are still sitting with that one seed, but no Donovan Mitchell for a couple of games here now after he was dealing with that injury that he sustained over the weekend. So DeAndre Ayton just got a baseline jumper to make it 109-104. to Phoenix Suns trying to come back in that one in Milwaukee. In Glendale, Arizona Coyotes looking for another big win as they face the Minnesota Wild. They came up with a big victory on Saturday beating the St. Louis Blues to pull ahead of the Blues in the West Division standings, at least at the moment. St. Louis has played two fewer games than the Coyotes, so that's going to be something that's going to be looked at and something to keep an eye on. But right now, at the start of the second period, it's a 1-1 tie between the Coyotes and the Wild. I believe it was Christian Fisher with the first period goal for the Arizona Coyotes. And right now, the Coyotes are wrapping up a power play that occurred at the end of the first period. They still have 30 more seconds left on that. In baseball, the Arizona Diamondbacks got a nice start from Madison Bumgardner. I mean, I I guess that's as best as we can say, and considering how he's performed so far with the Diamondbacks, that's about as highest of a compliment as you can give Mad Bum. A nice start. Gave up only one run, went five innings, only threw 80 pitches. So the Diamondbacks still kind of keeping him keeping the reins tight on Mad Bum in that respect but a decent outing his best so far of the season now the big question becomes can he replicate that can he become consistent he's been talking about how he feels like he's close how his velocity has been good it's right where he wants it to be it's been more of the mental mindset the mental game for Madison Bumgarner and like i illustrated earlier before at no other point in his baseball career has Mad Bum really ever had to deal with something like this, where he's had to overcome deficiencies in his game? He's been pitching at such a high level throughout his career that this is probably something a little new. And it's hard to go back to last year and really say how much of a difference that made because the 60-game season was such a weird one for everyone involved. And I know that there's no excuses. Everyone was playing the same amount of games. Everyone was playing the same type of schedule. But for the Diamondbacks, it was just such a disjointed 60-game season. And I feel like some of the side effects from the last year have carried over to the Diamondbacks this year. And that was the case with Mad Bump. He gets right, though, at least for one start. Now we need to see some consistency out of the D-backs ace. So something to continue to keep an eye on with that. Mad Bum and his performance with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Also going on today in the NFL, Trey Lance, the quarterback out of North Dakota State, had his second pro day up in Fargo, North Dakota. By all indications, it was pretty much scripted by the San Francisco 49ers. And that's what's unusual 
about this year's pre-draft process. Normally, guys have one pro day, and then they work out individually for teams. That's not the case this year. What you have going on is no individual workouts for teams and players, so you're seeing guys have second and maybe even three pro days. I'm not sure if anyone has actually gone down that route, but we've seen multiple guys, especially the quarterback position, have multiple pro days, and that was the case today for Trey Lance. Now, as I mentioned, San Francisco currently sitting with the third overall pick in this year's NFL draft. Many are believing that because San Francisco was so heavily involved in the pro day today for Trey Lance that maybe Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch have zeroed in on Trey Lance being the selection for them at number three and not Mac Jones there or Justin Fields even for that matter. There was a lot of speculation about two weeks ago that maybe Mac Jones had rocketed up the 49ers draft board and he was going to be in prime spot, prime selection to go number three overall. I understand why teams are doing this. I understand why the 49ers are making a risky proposition by taking one of these quarterbacks, trading up to number three to take one of these quarterbacks. But it doesn't mean that they're not making a mistake. I think San Francisco is making a mistake, and I think any of these other teams that potentially could be trading back into the top ten or getting higher into that draft to select someone like Justin Fields, Mac Jones, or Trey Lance are making a mistake because all you got to do is go back and look at recent NFL draft history. It happens every year. Teams reaching on a quarterback because they need a quarterback. They want to have that guy on a rookie deal where they can use the finances they're saving on him in a lengthy, in a big money contract to fill out the rest of their roster. I understand it, but I think it's wrong. And I think we're going to see teams make big, potentially, moves that set them back years in this year's draft when it comes to the top of the NFL draft in the quarterback position. Grand Canyon got another transfer from in town. This time, it was Holland Woods who announced earlier today that he is leaving the ASU basketball program and joining Bryce Drew at GCU. That means he will join Tayshawn Cherry, his former Sun Devil teammate, who about two weeks ago announced his intention to transfer to GCU. I think this is fascinating on a couple of levels, most notably the idea that there was some bad blood between ASU and GCU not that long ago, especially with ASU and Michael Crow coming out and saying that they will not play Grand Canyon in basketball. They may not even play them in some other sports. They even asked the Pac-12 as an entire conference to somewhat boycott GCU. Now, this was when GCU was making money hand over fist as a publicly traded company and uh, was just seeing an influx in cash that has helped them elevate their campus, their academics, and their athletics to the level that we have now. But all of a sudden now, you could see two ASU players who – had significant roles with the Sun Devils now across town playing for the GCU Antelopes. Just adds a little bit of local flavor, a little bit of local rivalry between these two teams. Updates right now. A lot of action going on since we began this segment. First of all, in Milwaukee, the Phoenix Suns have gone on a run. They were down by seven points just a few minutes ago. Some timely three-pointers, though, by the Suns 
has Phoenix leading Milwaukee 114 to 111 with one minute and 18 seconds to go in regulation. So it's coming down to the wire. The Suns are fighting tooth and nail in this one and would be an incredible win, an incredible come from behind win for the Phoenix Suns if they can actually pull this one off. And then just moments ago in Glendale, the Minnesota Wild took a 2-1 to one goal lead over the Arizona Coyotes. That was a game that was 1-1 at the first intermission, but the Wild have struck first here in the second quarter. In fact, right now, going back to the Milwaukee Suns game, there is a call, a play under review. They called a foul on the Suns, but I believe the Suns challenged, and now the officials are reviewing that. So potentially could be a good break here for the Phoenix Suns. Coming up next here on the rundown with Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski. We'll turn our attention to the Phoenix Suns, or excuse me, the Arizona Cardinals. I've got Suns on the brain right now. It's hard not to with this game coming down to the wire right in front of me. But we'll turn to the Arizona Cardinals and what they might do with their 16th overall selection. What happens if all of the positions of need have been taken before they go on the clock? That's next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Oh, man, since we went to break, this game is wiling out. Someone call Nick Cannon. This game in Milwaukee right now between the Suns and the Bucks. Devin Booker hit about a 12-foot jumper to tie the game at 116. Then Milwaukee comes down. Giannis, milking the clock, loses his footing. It looked like a travel. He loses the ball. The ball is loose on the floor, and somehow the officials uh, gave Milwaukee a timeout with one second on the shot clock, 2.4 seconds on the game clock. The other thing to keep in mind here, the other thing that has transpired in this game, uh, DeAndre Ayton, over the last minute or so, injured his left shoulder and has been favoring it significantly. I mean, you can tell just watching on the camera that that left shoulder does not feel good. He is still in the game, though, which is a positive sign. Maybe they're just trying to gut it out here and see what happens post-game with that. But now Milwaukee has the ball, one second on the shot clock, 2.4, an inbound pass to Middleton. It's off the mark, and they're going to call a shot clock violation. So potentially the Suns, right now there's .1 seconds on the game clock. They're going to put 1.5. The Suns do not have a timeout, I do not believe. So we're going to have to see, I mean, it's going to have to be a half-court heave here, and more likely than not, we're probably heading to overtime. But, man, that uh, I don't, I'm not sure how the officials even granted the Milwaukee Bucks that timeout. I mean, Giannis traveled, the ball was loose on the floor, nobody was touching the ball, and they awarded a timeout to Milwaukee. Going back to the previous, though, possession, Devin Booker, a clutch jumper to uh, tie this game. So, man, (laughs) wild game. This is what it's like, Valley fans, to have meaningful basketball in the springtime. I know some of you may not have even lived here in this valley or in this state the last time we had this, where we had a meaningful basketball. It's only been 10-plus years or so. But living and dying with every possession – I will continue to keep you updated on that. The Suns called a 
apparently the Suns did have a timeout. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to trying to figure this out as I'm walking it through here, but um, the Suns do have the ball with 1.5 seconds remaining, and it's going to be Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, Chris Paul, DA. Haven't seen if he's back out there. Um, and we'll have to see here. I mean, DA right now is just dragging his arm out there, and he's played. He was the one defensively on Giannis. He is out. DA is out right now. 1.5. The Suns did have a timeout, so they did advance the ball to their side of the floor. I'm calling play-by-play right now off the TV. It's going to be Jay Crowder to inbound for the Suns. Paul Bridges, Booker, Cam Johnson, and Jay Crowder. Tied at 116 with 105 remaining in the fourth quarter. And the Suns are out of timeouts. Milwaukee has one more. Crowder gets it into Booker, turns around, deep three off the back iron. We're going to overtime. Wow, what a game here in Milwaukee. What a game. So, we'll, ugh, man, I uh, that was fast and furious what was going on there. D.A. with a uh, shoulder injury, a travel, a timeout that looked like it was unwarranted, and now we've got free basketball. But just kind of reacting to all of this in the moment, I hate to speculate, but the Phoenix Suns have been unbelievable with their health situation so far this season. They have avoided major injuries to significant players all season long. Like I said, this just happened moments ago, but could this potentially be the first injury for the Phoenix Suns this season if there is something significantly wrong with DeAndre Ayton? Something to keep an eye. I mean, the way he was favoring that shoulder, it. I mean, my initial thought was almost like he dislocated it or something. The way he was kind of babying it, there was no doubt about it. But you got to tip the cap because he still hung in there and still played the final minutes of regulation and was defensively there on Giannis Adentacumpo and forced a bad possession by Milwaukee. So, whew, whew, wow. What a what a game going on right now in Milwaukee. And so we'll have to just keep you updated on this as we continue to go along. Um, let's turn our attention to the Arizona Cardinals. There was a mock draft out today by The Athletic that I thought presented an interesting idea, an interesting situation for what the Arizona Cardinals might do or might be able to do with the 16th pick in the draft. It was from The Athletic, and when you look at it, all of the wide receivers, the main wide receivers, were gone. The top two corners, and Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn, off the board. Elijah Vera Tucker, off the board. And those are kind of been like the big pieces that have been speculated or mocked to the Phoenix, or I keep saying the Phoenix Suns, it's hard not to with this game going on. Those have been the main guys or positions that have been mocked to the Arizona Cardinals recently. Wide receivers, cornerbacks, or Elijah Vera Tucker. What happens in that scenario if the Arizona Cardinals don't have a chance at one of the the top-of-the-line wide receivers, don't have a chance at one of the top two corners? And I think we are starting to see some separation now between Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn and Caleb Farley and the Newsom kid out of Northwestern. I think or Greg Newsom is his name. I think we're starting to see some of the separation there, that there is a clear tier one and tier two. 
And then kind of the fallback, at least for me personally, my fallback all along has been, well, you know, if one of those skilled position players or one of those defensive players isn't there, how about Elijah Vera Tucker? Now, the Burns and Gambo show have been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. There is another guy that potentially could be available to them. In fact, under this mock draft, he is on their board when their selection goes to Greg Newsom, the cornerback out of Northwestern. That's what the Athletic had the Cardinals selecting at 16. But there is Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. You add in the fact that there was a piece on NFL.com today that was looking at all of the first-round prospects, guys that could be drafted or guys that should or guys that are going to be drafted in the first round, looking at who could be the most can't-miss of all of those prospects. Number three on that list, out of all of the guys in the first round, they had Micah Parsons as one of the top can't-miss prospects. And it's a position of need in a sense that Jordan Phillips right now currently handles the middle linebacking spot for the Arizona Cardinals. One, Jordan Phillips has been adequate. He's been average. Hasn't been great. Hasn't been god-awful. So you could say that that could be an upgrade there. The other aspect of this is even if you do like Jordan Phillips, then what are you going to do once he's gone? I mean, his his time there is running short. It's not like he's going to be the middle linebacker for the Cardinals for the next 5-10 years. So it would fill a need, not maybe one of the most pressing needs. And if you're going to go that route, that would now be the third linebacker selected in the first round for the Cardinals in the last five years. That's a lot of draft inventory you're allocating to one position. Is Parsons worth it? Quite possibly. Is it better to get the top linebacker than the fourth or the fourth or third best wide receiver or cornerback? Quite possibly. The one guy, though, that just gives me so much pause in this whole process at a position of need for the Cardinals is Caleb Farley, who by all indications may be the most talented quarterback in this draft. I mean, that's what Mel Kuyper Jr. believes. But because of his back injury and because that he's not a true corner, he started his career at Virginia Tech as a wide receiver, there are some questions about how that's going to translate to the NFL. All that being said is that this mock draft by The Athletic presents almost a, depending on how you look at it, either a doomsday scenario where none of those other guys that you want are available, or if you're the optimistic type, it prevents or it presents an idea, an option that the Cardinals could do whatever they want to do. They can go so many different areas. So... Just something to keep an eye on. I got to go back to this Phoenix Suns game because now we're 340 in overtime. Still some more things have happened. More things of interest. First of all, DeAndre Ayton started overtime and is out there on the floor right now. So whatever was going on with his left arm or his left shoulder, it appears not to be too debilitating to keep him off the floor right now. The other thing, which bodes very well for the Suns at the moment, Giannis Adentacumpo coming up the floor just a few moments ago just it looked like he cramped up or something to that effect. He went to the floor, went to the hardwood, and was being worked on by the Bucks medical staff. So he is out of this overtime period at the moment for Milwaukee, 
And with three minutes to go, unsure yet if he's going to return in this game. Right now, under three minutes to play in overtime, the Suns are leading 118 to 116. Mikel Bridges just came away with a monster block, and they're going to turn that into a blocking. So DeAndre Ayton's going to go to the free throw line. This is, I, I mean, I should get paid extra for this. This is insane trying to host a radio show while trying to keep my attention on this Suns basketball game right now. It is just unbelievable. If you want, I, I hate to steer people away from the amazing docile tones of my voice, but if you want to listen to the end of this game, you can right now on ESPN 620 AM. Coming up next, we're going to keep tabs on this Suns game. We're going to keep tabs on what's going on with the Coyotes, and we'll also sprinkle in a little bit of Diamondbacks if things settle down a little bit as well. It's Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on the rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski tonight. Thank you, Luke, for letting me have the seat on such a wild evening. 25 seconds remaining in overtime, and Mikel Bridges just hit a corner three to put the Suns up 127 to 124 in overtime. This game is going back and forth. All sorts of things have happened. DeAndre Ayton injured his shoulder, but appears to be at least momentarily okay because he has remained in the game. He started the overtime period. The Suns went up six in overtime, but back-to-back three-pointers by the Bucks, including one from our old friend P.J. Tucker, tied the game, and then Bridges just broke the tie with a three, and that's very nice to see uh, Mikhail Bridges hit that because his offense has been struggling a little bit. And then, Jesse, you were saying that um, there's an update on Giannis. Giannis got injured in the beginning of this overtime, and he's not even playing right now. Yeah, Mark Stein uh, retweeted some verified account. The guy didn't make it clear like what he actually covers, but looks just like some NBA reporter. And uh, he he said that uh, calf cramp is what it appears to be for Giannis. So not too serious, but might keep him out the rest of this game. Well, yeah, we only got twenty five seconds in the in this overtime. We may be going to another, but uh, the Phoenix Suns, I think, have answered the question about the lackadaisical performance that they had on Saturday against the San Antonio Spurs, where they just got blown off the floor with no real uh, desire, want to. It just didn't look like they were interested in that game at all. This team plays up or down to the level of their opponent, and tonight they've brought it. There's a live look at Giannis on the TV. He is still on the Milwaukee bench, so I doubt at this juncture of the game that we're going to see Giannis come back in. I don't know. Maybe if there's a second overtime, we might see him. Uh We'll have to see on that. Chris Middleton on the inbound hits the three for the Bucks to tie the game back up at 127. What a wild game this has been. I mean, it it's thoroughly enjoyable, and it just it really quantifies how great it is to have the Phoenix Suns back. I was talking about this with my parents over the weekend, and uh, my parents live up in Flagstaff, and they were just talking about, hey, it's fun watching the Suns again, isn't it? When the Phoenix Suns are good, I don't know if there's any other team in this state that rallies the fan base like the Phoenix Suns. I grew up in Flagstaff, and I was a Suns fan through and through. I was a kid growing up through the KJ, Barkley, Marley, Chambers era. And even up north, 
People were wild for the Phoenix Suns. I was in college during Steve Nash's and the seven seconds or less. And it was a regular season game against the Lakers. And you would have it marked on your calendar three days in advance. That's what we're starting to get back with this team, back with this organization. And it is just such a welcome change of pace. And for a lot of you out there, it may be completely brand new. You may not have been living here. You may not have even been a Suns fan in since the last decade or since the last playoff appearance by this team. So enjoy it because this really is something that's fun and something that is exciting uh, with this Phoenix Suns team right now. Um, uh, just it's 127-127 in overtime right now. The Suns are going to have the ball after that Chris Middleton three. I'll keep you updated on that. Let's quickly go over, though, to what's going on in Glendale right now. A big game for the Coyotes as they're looking to uh, make it two in a row off of this uh, homestand that they had the win over the Blues on Saturday. Right now, under five minutes to go in the second period, the Coyotes are trailing the Minnesota Wild 3-1. to one. So still plenty of time there for the Coyotes. In fact, a good opportunity here, and they just were stopped. A nice save by Minnesota. But uh, still time for the Coyotes, but they're going to have to make a, a bit of a rally, just like they did on Saturday. Now back to Milwaukee. Devin Booker with five seconds left. He's way out on the logo. He's going to have to get something up here. He gets a heave at the buzzer. The shot was no good, but I believe they called the foul. Devin Booker is going to be going to the free throw line with the game tied at 127. Mike Budenholzer right now can't believe it. Neither can the rest of the Milwaukee Bucks. It's very rare that you see a foul call in a situation like that. I hate to be a cynic here, but they need to review this. I'm not sure he got the the uh, the ball off in time, the shot off in time. And it didn't even look like there really was. A, it didn't look like there was a foul on the shot, but there was like, I'll tell you what, that's, and Jesse, I believe you're right. On the replay, it doesn't look like Devin Booker got that shot off. And to be brutally honest, it didn't even look like there was a foul there. It looked like Booker, if anything, initiated the contact and pushed off with his forearm. But quite possibly, we could be going to double overtime here. And hey, let's let's go let's go double, let's go triple, let's go quadruple. Let's just the rundown tonight is just going to be on for as long as the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks are playing basketball this evening. But yeah, no, we're looking at the replay right now on Bally Sports, and the ball's still in his hand when the buzzer goes off. So. I think we're going to be heading to double overtime here. If you're just joining us, a lot has transpired in this game. Giannis left in the early stages of overtime with what is being reported as calf cramps. DeAndre Ayton injured his shoulder at the end of the fourth quarter to the point where he was holding it just dead, dead-armed, like it was not working or like it was dis- dislocated or something to that effect. Um. Jesse, you might have to help me out here. What's going on? I believe, I mean, I see some disgruntled Bucks fans, so I think that Booker's getting shots here. They're putting .3 back on the clock, and Devin Booker's going to the free throw line. I, he might not be going to the free throw line, but they think they called it a foul. He's, no, going, he's going to going the, the free, free throw, throw line. line. Yep. Wow. Wow, bro. To channel my inner Kobe White. That's crazy. 
Um, so Booker with the game tied at 127.3 seconds remaining. That's not even enough to do a tip shot, is it? I think, I mean, maybe it is. But Milwaukee has no timeouts. Booker just made the first free throw. I'll be curious to see also, do we know if this is a two-shot free throw attempt or a three-shot free throw attempt? I do not know that, no. All right, well, Booker's made the first. with So the Suns are now up by one. This is just... This is one for the ages, this this game tonight, and really sets a tone, really sets a precedent for what else could be happening on this road trip for the Phoenix Suns. Booker, it appears, he misses the second, and that's it. He misses the free throw, the second free throw attempt. The <laughs> Milwaukee got the rebound and then just heaved it down the court. So, huh? What? What a wild, weird finish. The Phoenix Suns are going to beat the Milwaukee Bucks 128 to 127 in overtime. There's just a crazy amount of storylines and things coming out of this game. But the bottom line is, is the Phoenix Suns just knocked off one of the better teams in the NBA and the third best team in the Eastern Conference. So big win for the Suns and a great tone setter for this road trip. Now, a couple of things. I hate to immediately turn towards thinking about such things like this, but I wonder once the momentum and the adrenaline of this game winds down, if we're going to find out that DeAndre Ayton's injury was more severe than what it appeared. I mean, like I said, initially it looked like his shoulder was just out of socket and like it was just dangling there the way he wasn't using it, but he played the entire overtime period. Um, So... I can't imagine that the Suns would have jeopardized his health in that sense. And then the Suns get a bit of a break. I mean, both Jesse and myself thought that the buzzer had already rang before Booker got that shot off. And it also didn't even really look like a foul that much, especially in a situation like that to call that and to kind of take the, the game away from the bucks. Hey, who cares? Jimmy crack corn. And I don't care. The Suns are going to beat the Bucks 128 to 127. Let's take a little bit of an early break so I can compose myself. When we come back, we'll wrap up what this win could mean for the Phoenix Suns moving forward on the rest of this East Coast road trip. That's coming up next here on the Rundown 987 FM Arizona Sports Station. It's the Rundown 987 FM Arizona Sports Station. Jordan Bird back here with you, filling in for Luke Lipinski. Trying to catch my breath after that Phoenix Suns game. Good grief. What a wild win for the Suns, beating the Milwaukee Bucks 128-127 to in overtime. A um, lot of interesting things here uh, out of this game. Um, I mean, first of all, the questionable calls. You should have had a, a travel call or at least not awarding the timeout. It didn't matter anyways, but at the end of regulation – it certainly looked like Giannis traveled. Then he kind of threw the ball out, and it was a loose ball. The officials allowed Milwaukee to t- call a timeout while the ball was still loose. Now, Milwaukee didn't end up in doing anything with it, so it didn't really matter. But then, if we're being fair and honest here, it looked like Devin Booker, at the end of overtime, one, did not get his shot attempt off uh, before the buzzer. Now, maybe the officials were saying that the foul occurred right before he got the shot off, 
which is, you know, which would have still been a foul, but the bucket would not have counted had he made the shot. But it also really didn't look like a foul that much with some of the play that we've also seen throughout the year. Mark Stein of, uh, I believe, the New York Times had a perfect tweet. Not the best ending of the year from that game of the year contender. Phoenix just won by a point in overtime in Milwaukee. People are talking about this one. This is going to be, I mean, Mark Stein, one of the more dialed-in NBA insiders, dialed-in NBA analysts, talking about this as a game of the year candidate already for this game. And uh, how can you not like it for the Phoenix Suns? So, and that's one of the biggest things that we've been talking about with this Suns team is, oh, they're inexperienced. They're young. They're inexperienced. We don't know what version of the Phoenix Suns we're going to get when the playoffs roll around. Granted, it's not the chess match of a playoff series where you're playing the same team potentially seven straight times and the moves and counter strikes that you're making within the course of a seven-game series, but make no bones about it. This tonight was a playoff atmosphere type game, a playoff style type of game. Uh, Cam Cox of 12 News tweeted out, Ollie versus Frazier level of basketball game. It felt like a boxing match watching this. Both teams just hitting haymakers and punching each other and teams taking their best shot. Um, but, man, it just an entertaining game, a great win for the Suns, and it starts off a road trip now for the Suns where they will now be in Philadelphia on Wednesday, Boston Thursday, Brooklyn Sunday, and the New York Knicks on Monday. So a great way to start this road trip. I was saying earlier when this game was still like in the third quarter that I would take two and three, but I'm hoping for three and two or better. Well, now when you get this win over Milwaukee, kind of sets you up and you have a little bit of house money to play with. You have some room for air moving forward, but a very just reassuring game, reassuring win. And it's so satisfying that the Suns were actually able to gut this out and win this game because, I mean, I still think this would have been a game where we would be talking about it in the respect of, you know, hey, the Suns put up a great, valiant effort. They hung with the Bucks, They went toe-to-toe with them, and they just came up short. A, a moral win type of game. The fact that the Suns actually won this game is icing on the cake. And it's, like I said, it's a playoff type of atmosphere. It's a playoff type of game. And for a team and a roster that is looking for those type of moments to try to get as trying to get as much experience as they can, this I feel like games like this are going to go a long way. Um, I still am a little concerned. I still want to see what potentially might be coming injury-wise with DeAndre Ayton. He did get hurt at the end of regulation. He was very favorably uh, holding his shoulder, uh, but still gutted it out, started the overtime, played the overtime. So, like I said earlier, I can't imagine if it was that severe of an injury that the Suns would have been so keen to allow him to stay in there and to continue to play that game. But who knows? We still might hear something later on down the road in terms of DeAndre Ayton dealing with some ramifications from that shoulder injury. Um, It kind of circles back to the idea of rest. I mean, we were talking about this all along um, before this game even tipped off, that 
Well, should the Phoenix Suns start resting players? Should Monty Williams be picking and choosing opportunities to rest some of these guys? And on this road trip, you wonder, is it going to be an option? Monty Williams made it sound earlier that, you know, maybe once the Suns capture or clinch a playoff spot, that's when they'll start thinking about going down that road. Here was the cut itself. Have you discussed resting guys? This was from yesterday with Monty. We haven't talked about it um, yet, but if we need to, we will. But it's, it's not something that's come up. Um, the one thing that we have going for us is most of our team is still pretty young. <laughs> right, right. One guy that, you know, <clears throat> most people would probably bring up in that discussion is Chris and he just doesn't want to sit out. So we've tried to manage as best we can on off days and um, that kind of thing, but it's not something we've talked about just yet. I think that we might get to that point at some juncture of this season, especially if the Suns can wrap up a playoff spot here in the next coming day or not coming days, but you know, the next week or so and not have to worry about playing game, which I think is, is unrealistic. I mean, the Suns are going to be hosting a first round playoff series and more likely than not, they have a distinct possibility of hosting two if they can hold on to that second seat. But I think we're going to start to see maybe pick and choosing those moments later on. You know, let's just say, for example, DeAndre Ayton, Wednesday against Philadelphia. Even if it's not a severe injury, even if it's not something that is catastrophic, does it make sense to maybe get him an extra day off, especially when you have a back-to-back the next night on Thursday? Yeah. I mean, maybe these moments, Monty will start picking and choosing and finding areas where he can give his guys some little a little bit of rest here and there. Let's take a look at what's going on in the rest of the NBA tonight because that game was just out of control. There's a lot of other big games going on, specifically in the Western Conference tonight. First off, the Utah Jazz, the team that the Suns are still chasing. The Jazz are in L.A. tonight playing the Lakers. 4.30 remaining in the first half of that one, and the Jazz are up on the Lakers 45-33. to an interesting score going on in Denver right now as the Memphis Grizzlies have a 95-87 to lead over the Denver Nuggets. That game just started in the fourth quarter. So when you look at the standings, the Suns now are a game back of Utah. If their current score and their current game with the Lakers holds true, then that's going to be bumped back up to a game and a half. If the Lakers can make some sort of rally, then the Suns would be a half game back of the number one seed in the Western Conference. The Denver Nuggets, after struggling there a little bit, after the injury to Jamal Murray, they have kind of leveled out. They've won two in a row. They're still eight of their last ten. But it looks like potentially, I mean, they certainly still have time to come back and beat Memphis. But if the Nuggets lose, that would now drop them down to six games back of Utah, five games back of Phoenix. So, It really starts to feel with the injuries to Denver, the injuries to L.A., and just kind of some of the inconsistent play from Portland, Dallas, and Memphis, that there is a clear top three in my mind right now between Utah, Phoenix, and L.A. And that's kind of the way the standings are starting to break out a little bit now as well. So, uh, wow, just what an exciting game. What an exciting night for the Suns as they beat the Bucks. 
128 to 127. Quickly, as we get to uh, our score here in Glendale, a quick update on the Coyotes. They're about to start the third period. Coyotes are trailing the Minnesota Wild 3-1. to one. That's going to do it for this edition of the Rundown. A big tip of the cap to Luke Lipinski for letting me fill in on such a, uh, a smorgasbord of events going on tonight on the show. Jeff Darge, Jesse Morrison, thank you guys for your help behind the glass. Suns beat the Bucks. Get that first game of the East Coast road trip. Now Philly up next on Wednesday. For Luke Lipinski, I'm Jordan Bird. Have a great rest of your night on Arizona Sports.